some of your stories and what a blessing it is to give Christ glory for lives transformed in our own church. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to go to Acts 19.21. Acts 19.21. The sermon is called, It Was a Riot! Because it was a riot. The gospel sometimes spreads beneath the surface and people don't know what's going on. And other times, the entire city is shouting at the top of its lungs for two hours straight. That's where we're going today. Have you heard about the UAW strikes? Have you heard about the auto workers? They're on strike. Here's a picture. They're on strike, right? You don't mess with the unions. I learned that when I was in college. I was a DJ, okay? And I DJed a party for the UAW, and it was the day before the president was coming to speak to them, okay? So the room was all set up for the president, and I was like the pre-party, and I pulled up to the UAW president pre-party in my Hyundai Elantra. Well, guess what? They weren't too happy about that. So a guy comes up to me and says, uh, you better not park that in the lot. And I said, why? And he said, because it'll be in the river by the time you come back to it. All right? Shots fired. So guess what? I didn't park it in the lot. They are really serious, and when they get worked up, watch out. So today, the silversmith union in Ephesus grabs the rest of the unions, and they have a union rally, and they all rise up, and they create a citywide riot against Paul and the Christians. That's, it's going to get like deadly real fast if people aren't careful. So we're going to learn about how they responded when the city exploded into a riot. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the gospel impacts and transforms lives all around the world, yesterday, today, and until you return, young and old, every nation, tribe, and tongue, where the gospel is proclaimed, lives will be transformed. And today, it nearly set the whole city on fire. So show us in Ephesus what was going on and show us what we can learn, Jesus, as your disciples model for us being bold witnesses for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts 19, 21. Here's what it says. Well, verse 20, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis! of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the theater. Let's pause there and circle back. 
All right, now Luke starts this passage with some travel previews, okay? So the point of this passage is to show the power of the gospel in Ephesus and also to show the movement of the early church and the apostles. So we have a bit of a travel preview here. So the first point we can write down is this. They surrendered to God's direction. How did the world be, get turned upside down back then? Well, first of all, the apostles, the leaders, they, they surrendered to God's direction. And Luke makes that clear. It says in verse 21, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. He is planning out his travel. This is a fulfillment of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And um, this is also an example to us of being surrendered to God's direction. Depending on your translation, it might say there, Paul resolved in spirit. So the thought is interpretive. And whenever it says spirit, you have to interpret, is it his spirit? Is it God's spirit? And I think there's plenty of contextual evidence that Paul uh, was not just following his heart. He was clearly following the spirit when he was directed to do these things. So they surrendered to God's direction. Here is a map of the third missionary journey. We'll put up on the screen. And this map shows you, and oh yes, if you were wondering, I have my laser pointer today. Some of you are really excited about this. So the third missionary journey, Paul traveled from Antioch by land, stopped in Ephesus here for about two and a half years. Look at all these churches that were planted in the area. And if you remember clearly, he had to pass through this area on the second missionary journey, and God said, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. So we see that a closed door is not always a missed opportunity because he established a circle around this area on the second missionary journey. Here on the third missionary journey, here was the base in Ephesus. It, he's feeling like it's time to move on, to continue back through these cities on the second missionary journey, especially in Corinth, where he'll spend some time. Corinth is carousing for a barousing. Boy, are they misbehaving. He's sending letters to them. It's, they're going really, to get in trouble. So there's a push to leave Ephesus, and there's a pull with these churches needing him, and then there's a riot, and we are learning here how God directed the travel and the leadership of the churches. So Paul sends his, uh, his leaders on ahead. He's going to eventually come back down to Jerusalem here with a, um, an offering. Okay, so they surrendered to God's direction. Good, good moment for you to ask, have you surrendered to God's direction? Overall, have you surrendered your life? to God's direction. Not my will, but yours be done. My schedule, everything, I have surrendered it to you. If so, there will be times that you have to go places, and there will be times that you have to stay places. So you can uh, write this down. They stayed in Ephesus for over two years. They stayed in Ephesus for over two years. God said no on the second missionary journey, but then Paul prayed in Acts 18.21, he told the leaders in Ephesus, if it's God's will, I will return to you. Consistent theme throughout Paul's writings, to be surrendered to the will of God. Sometimes people don't know how to find the will of God, and so they just kind of fill in the blanks. Well, God told me this. God told me that. And look, I got to warn you, if you write God's name over every door you walk through, you're going to do a lot of foolish things in God's name. All right? So be very careful saying that everything you're doing is God's will. You have to surrender to God's will, and then his timing is not your timing. His thoughts are not your thoughts. So slowly, little by little, God will lead you and guide you like the good shepherd in Psalm 23. If you follow that shepherd, he will lead you through life. 
So they stayed in Ephesus for over two years. This was the will of the Lord. And verse 20 makes it clear. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Great things were happening, and so they stayed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, during this time, a wide door of effective work has opened for me, and many oppose me. So we're getting some awesome praise reports. So they stayed. They stayed in Ephesus for over two years. That shows us the power of surrendering to God's direction. They said they surrendered to not staying when they were passing through on the second missionary journey, and then they surrendered to staying on the third. That was spirit-led. Write this down. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. So they were going, they were staying, and they were following the command of Christ, tying it into our lives. Jesus commanded us to go and to make disciples of all nations. They're showing us what that looked like in ancient Rome. We have to decide what that looks like today. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. I love Paul's heart. His heart, as he shares it here and elsewhere, was to pretty much go off the map. He says here he wants to pass through Macedonia, verse 21, and Achaia to Jerusalem. After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Then elsewhere, he shares, his plan was to pass through Rome to get to Spain. Okay, so here's a map of the entire Roman Empire, okay? So Paul's ambition is truly gospel ambition. This, my friends, is the mighty Roman Empire. Unbelievably huge, vast, unimaginable here, down, and here is Jerusalem where it all started. And then the first missionary journey was like here. Second missionary journey was like here. Third missionary journey again. Paul's like, I want to go here, and then I want to go here. Who knows? Maybe he would have discovered America if somebody gave him a boat. I don't know. He wanted the whole world to know that Jesus is alive. I love his heart. That should be our heart for our world. Is that your heart for your world? that you want the name of Christ to be lifted high all over the world? Do you have an off-the-map site for where the gospel could go? Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. I had the joy this week of going over to Naperville because our uh, church planning network said that we're merging into in the Chicago area, plants churches all over. Here's a picture from that. And so every year, anywhere between 400 and, and 800 pastors are assessed in this network to go and plant churches. So they invite local pastors like me to come, and then we're on a team of like seven or eight people or couples who assess these church plant couples and then basically give them green light, they're ready to go, yellow light, there's some work, or red light, they're not ready to go plant a church. So it's a joy that in Chicago we had people from uh, Iowa, people from, from Chicago, people from Wisconsin, and we had a couple from Uganda who came in because they're following the Lord to minister to Africans in Chicago. They're coming to Chicago. And I was like, what a blessing. And as I heard this pastor and his wife share their story, they said, look, we, we feel like people in the church have told us, uh, keep your bags packed. We just, the Lord is leading us to see that you have a multinational impact coming. So go check this out in Chicago. And so they said, they were laughing. They said, so we live with our bags packed. Wherever we go, we don't hang pictures on the wall. We say, Lord, we will go wherever you say. And we've been in three time zones, and we think we'll be in five or six or seven eventually. I love their heart. I love their surrender. I love their spirit. 
And that was in the Apostle Paul by God's Spirit, and that should be in our hearts as well. So Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, and that should permeate our spirit as a congregation as well. They surrendered to God's direction. They stayed in Ephesus for over two years. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. So write this down. Are you surrendered to God's direction? Are you surrendered to God's direction? Many right now are not happy. They're stuck in Chicago. Okay, so are you stuck or are you surrendered? Are you stuck and seething? Or are you surrendered to the mission field God has you on? Have you said, Lord, show me the work you have me to do here and now, on my street, in my neighborhood, in my, in my state. Lord, show me the work you have me, us, to do here. Are you surrendered or are you upset because you don't like where God has you right now? Whether God will leave you anchored in one city for mo most or all of your life or he will allow you to bounce around, you should never leave the posture of surrender. You should never in your heart uh, leave this bags packed mindset. Lord, I've got my bags packed to go where? Well, ultimately to go to heaven, right? I've got my bags packed. I don't want to stay here forever. Uh, I've got my bags packed and therefore, Lord, the decision is already made. Here I am, send me. How many of you already have your ribbon that we handed out over the last year, your ribbon? Here I am, send me. You have, you have said, we have a map in the lobby. You can meet me there after the service if you want to hear this. But you, you see your place on the map. You see that there's a lot of people surrounding you. And you say, Lord, send me. I'm going to reach my street. I'm going to hand out some find God again stuff. I'm owning that in prayer. Here I am. Send me. Then you're a missionary wherever God has you. Are you surrendered to God's direction? We have plenty of findgodagain.com stuff that you can use to show that you are on mission. We've got door hangers. We've got little things you can put on car windshields. We've even got fun little things that people will pick up and not know what they are. This is your opportunity to at least go to your street. And if you won't go to your street, how on earth is God going to give you a tougher assignment, right? If you won't go as a missionary to right where you're living right now, why would he say, well, I'm going to send you somewhere big, you know? Surrender now. And who knows what God can do on your block? So what examples they give us? They surrendered to God's direction. They stayed in Ephesus for over two years. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. Are you surrendered to God's direction? All right, now number two, write this down. They suffered persecution for being Christians. They suffered persecution for being Christians. All right, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll speak. Here I am. Wait a minute. This is a lot harder than I thought. People aren't being nice to me. You're right. Get ready for persecution. They suffered persecution for being Christians. Okay, so here we are in verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That is, of course, the entirety of the Christian life. But Jesus himself is the what? The, he's the what? He's the, the way and the truth and the life, right? So the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. What's this all about? Well, they work with silver, and the temple to Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, my friends. It was huge, much bigger than the Parthenon. It was the biggest, most breathtaking, beautiful worship sanctuary on earth. 
they had it right outside their city. And so the silversmiths were like, well, this is really amazing spiritually, but it could also be really amazing financially. So big business. They would make these replicas of the shrine, perhaps even replicas of the goddess. And there's been archaeological finds of statues and uh, of, of things like this. So they made big business, likely also furnishing the temple and selling these things to the people. This was mucho dinero. They suffered persecution. Why? Because lives were being changed and it disrupted the local economy. So they weren't happy. Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. So he grabbed the other trades too. They make money off this stuff also, right? Whether it's the baskets or the wood or the whatever. Stone. Man, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Have you ever been to a union rally where things get all worked? I was a teacher before I was a pastor. So I was at a teacher union meeting. They're a lot nicer. It was a lot of nice talk, you know, about how we're going to get what we want. But it was really kind people. There was, they weren't throwing things. But a guy in our church used to be in the pipe fitter union, and he told me that there was a union meeting that got really, really, really explosive, right? And he said, Pastor Ryan, this big tattooed guy with long hair, he's, you know, like 6'2", he goes, I always carry my Bible in my lunchbox. So I stood up on a table and held up my Bible and said, hey, everybody calm down. We're going to do this the right way. And they did. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Can you put yourself in this room of union folk, multi-union folk, get all wound up, and Paul is the one that they're angry with? That is what's happening here. Can you feel it? Can you feel the explosion that's about to happen in the room? Can you see their red faces filled with rage because they're not making the money they used to make? Can you put yourself in that room? My goodness, it's a powder keg. He says here in verse 26, or verse 25, he gathered together, men, you know from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. He said, what? The gods we make with our hands are not gods? You can see the contradiction here. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he mentions the real problem, money. That's, that's their real God, right? Secondarily, we also furnish gods with our hands. Okay? And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed of her magnificence. No! She whom all Asia and the world worship. What a dire picture. Our trade, our trinkets, our temple, our goddess. It sounds like in just two years they're about to lose everything. Shockingly, I don't hear any appeal to this goddess who apparently is not able of defending herself, even though she is Diana, the goddess of warfare. They got to take matters into their own hands, which is also contradictory. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions to travel. They couldn't find Paul. 
when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. This is really great. So imagine a theater shouting. It could seat 24,000 people. Shouting, shouting, and Paul is like, let me at him. There's a crowd. I can share the gospel. I'm going to go do it. Now all of you over here tell me, no, don't do it. Now I'm going to go do it. No, no, they really need to hear the gospel. I'm going to so, you know, it's like they're holding him back from certain doom. Paul wished to go in among the crowd. The disciples would not let him. Even some of the Asiarchs. Now, who are they? These are very wealthy patrons of the city who had some, a lot of public influence, right? Kind of peacekeepers, but also promoters of the way of the city, right? Some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his, that's cool to know, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. They go to the theater and they're like, quick, text Paul, don't come here. They know what's about to happen. He's going to come here, right? Everyone's telling him, don't do it. I love, I love, I love his heart. I love his heart. You think he cared if that would be where he would die? 20,000 people shouting in a theater and I'm the problem? Get me in there. I love his spirit. But here it was wise to not go into the theater. It says in verse 32, Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them did not know why they had even come together. All right, so they suffered persecution for being Christians. Let's catch up with a little explanation here. Here's a picture of the temple of the goddess Artemis. This was the most beautiful worship center on earth. It, breathtaking. There was nothing greater than the temple to Artemis outside the city of Ephesus. And these tradesmen made tons of money furnishing it and giving people little souvenirs, trinkets, gods, temples for their, for their trip. So you can imagine the pride the city felt. And, and so these people were shouting, Great is Artemis of Ephesus! And that is what's on the line. Write this down. Jesus was transforming pagan hearts. Jesus was transforming pagan hearts. Was the church picketing the temple of Artemis? Artemis is nothing. Stop coming to the temple. Were they protesting? Is that how this happened? Uh, no. Jesus was just changing lives and people were like, I don't need this garbage anymore. Get these trinkets out of my place. I don't need to go there. I don't need to buy this. That's how this was happening. Unbelievable. This proves Jesus was alive. This proves he was transforming lives. And it shows us that Jesus saves people out of powerful, convincing, glamorous, profitable, cultural backgrounds. Oh, you think they had more than the Apostle Paul, the sweaty tent maker who had a magic apron we learned last week? <laughs> they had glory. They had money. They had power. And guess what? They didn't have Jesus. When the power of Christ showed up and transformed their souls, they didn't need that glory anymore. They didn't need that money anymore. They didn't need that trinket anymore. And the pagans saw the change. Wow. Jesus was transforming pagan hearts. Write this down. Idol sales were plummeting. Idol sales were plummeting. There was a idol recession. Their bottom line was dropping sales. This is just in a two and a half year period. The chart of their sales, 
Their stock plummeting. They were greatly alarmed. They were right to fear. They were right to fear this power that had showed up to town. But they were fearing the wrong thing. They were fearing they would be broke. They were fearing their goddess would be slandered. They were fearing the temple would go. They fear. They were right to fear. They were fearing the wrong thing. And all of their fears would ultimately come true. What they should have feared is what if Paul's right? That's what they should have feared. What if Paul's right? Morality and ethics, though sadly, are usually determined by profit motive. Money motivates many ungodly beliefs and behaviors still in the world today because money is a rival God. Follow the money. That's what's happening here. Idol sales were plummeting. Write this down. So they blamed the Christians and caused chaos. They blamed the Christians and caused chaos. They dragged whoever they could find into the theater. It was total chaos. Here's a picture of the theater from Ephesus. I hope you remember, I've showed you videos and pictures, but these were not mud hut villages, right? These are not primitive people. This is the glory and the height of civilization in the ancient Roman Empire. Ephesus was a city, governing city of the entire region. The governor lived here. Amazing city, highly cultured, and this was the theater where they dragged the Christians and where they filled the theater, shouting. People didn't even know what was happening, but it was riot time. Imagine, imagine being there. And so what happens? Well, it says in verse 32, some cried out for one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion, verse 32, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Why are we here? Go like this. Go like this. Most of them didn't know. It's total chaos. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. When they recognized he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The Jews are being opportunistic here. Maybe it's because uh, they were trying to distance themselves so that they didn't get in trouble, or maybe now's their shot to take it to Paul. Uh, but just make a little noise right now, and I'm going to try. Uh, I'm going to stand up and try and silence you. Go ahead, just make a little noise right now. Make a little noise, and I'm going to make a motion with my hand. But you're not going to listen to me. You're going to get a little louder. So Alexander was shot down. Okay, go up there and say something. Go tell him that we're Jews and we're not Christians, and go tell him Paul is a bad guy and he should die. Get up there, get up there. And he's just motioning with his head, and they're like, get out of here. Alexander actually has, in the Bible, the worst response to a sermon recorded in Scripture, okay? Because what happened? How did it go? Well, I got up there and I tried to preach my sermon, and then what happened? Um, well, the Jews uh, got me up there, and then after I preached my little sermon for about two hours, they all shouted to a false god Artemis. <laughs> he gave his little thing, and they shouted for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Worst response to a sermon ever, okay? I've preached some bad sermons. Sometimes people fall asleep in my sermons. Thankfully, no one has ever shouted glory to a false god for two hours when I got done. Okay, that's never happened yet. Better not happen today, Okay. <laughs> When the crowd recognized he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When the town clerk had quieted the crowd. So now, now the official gets up there. It's been two hours, folks. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, 
He said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? You and I are like, huh? That's what they believe. Sacred stone fell from the sky. Maybe it was Artemis herself or from the gods, but if everyone knows this is a sacred site in a sacred city. This clerk, remember big city, big city officials know how to get stuff done. The gospel actually did pretty well in the big cities because the big city leaders didn't want any trouble. This is actually a very brilliant response. He's like, um, there is no danger of people forgetting about Artemis. None. Okay. That's locked down. Everyone knows that this is a sacred place and something spiritual happened. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. This is really awesome. Christianity gets the clear. Okay, look, they, they're not sacrilegious. They're not blasphemers. They're not picketing our temple. Okay, they're not throwing our shrines on the ground. In other words, the ministry was not directly confronting. It was indirectly. Okay, it was indirectly. We saw that, what Paul did in Athens. Verse 38, If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. There's a legal channel. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. If you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. There's the lower courts. There's the higher courts. Let's calm down, everyone. There's legal process. If Paul stole anything or said anything, go bring it up. Verse 40, and this is where the teeth come in. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no, no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Bravo. Write this down. Um, do you trust God to protect you from persecution? Because God protected them. Do you trust God to protect you from persecution? In the end, here's what did it. Fear. They were, they were afraid, and so they were afraid that Rome was going to come and you were not allowed to riot. Okay, so here's a picture of the Roman officials that could have showed up, and ultimately this is where the clerk got it done. Okay, look, everybody go home or this is what's coming. All right, they're going to show up, guy with the tiger on his head, uh, and, and you're all going to get, there's no reason for this, so we're all going to get in trouble, go home. That's what happens when people are operating out of fear. Suddenly they're afraid of Rome, and so they all stop and they go home. Do you trust God to protect you from persecution? The believers here model that they were ready to be mocked, and they were ready to stand their ground in front of a shouting crowd. No, believers don't say anything in this sermon. They just model for us what it means to be persecuted for the sake of Christ, and God does the rest. How about you? Are you ready? Are you ready to be mocked, marginalized, shamed, sued, ignored, shouted at, gossiped about, slandered because you're one of them? Are you ready for that? Oh, they might not drag you in front of 20,000 screaming people yet, but are you ready for persecution? Here's some verses that guide our hearts on persecution. 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew God would rescue him. He wasn't afraid 
1 Corinthians 16, 8-9, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. It comes with the territory. Do you trust God to protect you from persecution? Number one, they surrendered to God's direction. Number two, they suffered persecution for being Christians. Number three, write this down, they converted many people to the way of Christ. They converted many people to the way of Christ. Everyone heard about Jesus in the whole region. Verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That is so awesome. The the enemies of God here gave the praise report, right? Verse 26, you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away a great many people. Wow, they converted many people to the way of Christ. The whole region heard it, and hundreds of people were getting saved. Churches were being planted. This was a great awakening to the gospel. Wow. This proves that Jesus is alive. It proves that he is working through his church that faithfully goes and spreads the good news. So what about you? Do you think revival can happen in our nation? Do you think revival can happen in our city? Do you think that it can show up where people who are opponents of the gospel can look and see in a variety of ways, including even financially, that Jesus is alive and he's changing lives? Do you believe that? Do you believe he can change lives in our culture, our city? I do. I do. We're doing our part in launching findgodagain.com. We're doing our part in sharing our stories, being lights in the darkness. We're doing our part in joining a network of churches that is planting churches in Chicago. Ultimately, it's going to be the Lord that transforms hearts and lives. And I think God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine in Chicago. I think he can do more than we could ever dream if we are faithful witnesses. They converted many people to the way of Christ. Now we have to ask this question based on the characters in the text. Write this down. What are you afraid of losing? This would be for the believers and the unbelievers. What are you afraid of losing? Fear was on display here, and the believers demonstrated that they were not afraid. They were not afraid of standing up for their faith. Paul, let me in there. Let's go back to the areas where people tried to kill us. Let's go. They demonstrate for us what it means to live without fear. The silversmiths and then the whole mob show what fear will do. They were, they were afraid, and therefore they were living in fear, not in faith. Where are you at right now? Are you living by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, are you unafraid in your witness? Are you unafraid in what it means to actually follow Christ, even if the world comes against you? Are you unafraid like them? Or are you living consumed with fear? Maybe you're not even a Christian because you're afraid. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you're a bit like the cowardly lion because you live in fear all day long. How are you doing with fear? What are you afraid of losing? The unbelievers in the text were afraid of losing everything. Their money, their trade, their God, their temple, their their city pride. They were afraid of losing it all. What are you afraid of? Maybe you're afraid of people. And what would happen to your relationships if you truly did follow Christ? 
all the way. Maybe you're afraid of what your family would say, what your friends would think, what your coworkers would do. Is that what's keeping you back from becoming a Christian? Are you afraid of people? Are, are you afraid of people? Is that what's governing your heart right now? Maybe you're afraid of losing control. Losing people, losing control. Well, if you truly become a Christian, you lose all control over your life. What happens to your schedule? You've got to come to church on Sundays and there's religious activities and your priorities need to shift and some of the things that you do every week suddenly might not happen. Are you the captain of your own soul? You just don't want to lose that control? Maybe you're afraid of losing money, like in the text, and becoming more generous to the needy and to the kingdom purposes of God could cut into your bottom line. Maybe money is your rival God. Are you afraid of losing money? Maybe you're afraid of losing pride. If, if you admit how long you've been wrong, how long you've been off track, how many people tried to warn you, maybe you hate the feeling of being wrong. And maybe that's what you're afraid of. Some of you right now are not going to heaven. You realize that, right? You're not going to heaven because of the things you're afraid of. You're not going to heaven because of the things you're afraid of. And I just want to point out, there could be something in your life that's so glorious and so grand and so established and even supernatural like the temple that they had. Something so impenetrable that you would shout for two hours at the top of your lungs because of how much this means to you. I got to tell you, do you know what happened to the temple of Artemis that they couldn't live without? Do you know what happened to the temple of Artemis that they would shout for two hours? I'm going to show you a picture here. Here's a picture of the temple of Artemis today. Can you see it? Should I use my laser pointer? Keep that picture up there. John Turtle in 1836 went to Ephesus and his mission was 1863 to find the temple of Artemis because it had been missing for 500 years. Under 20 feet of sand, he found bits and pieces of the temple that remained. It was a wonder of the ancient world. This goddess was worshipped everywhere. For two hours, they shouted at the top of their lungs. They were wrong. They were wrong. And maybe you're wrong. Whatever it is that you would rather have than the Christian life, than Jesus, it's going to become ruins and rubble. It's going to be nothing. And it's going to cost you your soul forever. Is it really worth it? Or should you leave that fear behind and become a born-again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because guess what? If I put up a picture there of Christ's kingdom in glory, it would blind you. It would blind you. His glory lasts forever. Is that what you're shouting for? Finally, you can write this down. Are you ready to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see who he is? Do you see where he is? Do you see what he's done for you? Are you ready to get saved? Are you ready to get baptized and to gladly name the only name? that will reign in glory forever, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give you the chance to do that right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Lord Jesus, right now, right now, you reign on heaven's throne in glory forever. How wrong this city was to shout for a false goddess. How wrong they were to miss the power of God. And it was fear that did them in. Fear of loss. I wonder if there are any here today, Lord, who aren't going to heaven because they're afraid of the wrong things. I pray right now that they would repent. That they would repent of their fear of how you would ruin their life when actually you would give them life. Maybe they're afraid of what people would think, afraid of losing relationships, afraid of commitments to church, to God, afraid of losing money. Maybe they're afraid, oh Lord, maybe they need to repent right now and saying, forgive me, Father, for my fear of man. Save me. I want to proudly name the name of Jesus and let go of anything that is tying me to this fallen world. I let it go. I surrender it to you. Everything, my schedule, my life, my speech, my money, my relationships, everything, my marriage, my children, everything. I surrender it freely now before it will all be taken from me in the end. What a fool I've been to try and be the captain of my own soul. Forgive me, Jesus. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And Lord, for Christians, I just pray, maybe some of them are afraid right now, afraid of being witnesses, afraid of living the Christian life. May they just repent of their fear. What boldness we saw in Ephesus. I pray that you would forgive our fear, our faint-heartedness. Help us to remember, Jesus, that you will protect and defend us just as you promised. We have nothing to fear. Nothing. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. We believe it. So we worship you, Christ. If we could, we would shout for hours. And one day we will, very soon. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.